0: Agenda. A voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heath. All right. Hey, Las Vegas. It's Thursday. Happy Thursday, one and all. Since it's Thursday, it is a Frittle Show day. We are going to dive deep into the politics of the week. Some of you will be thrilled by this. Others of you are about ready to turn me off right now. And that's okay. I get it. But I'm Crystal Heath. Thanks for those of you that are going to keep listening. (laughs) And really, I'm not an expert on the things that I talk about and you're like then why do you talk about them because this is what this is what i do i i comment on the news politics culture of the day i share thoughts i share opinions generally speaking you won't well i was going to say you won't find me sharing my opinions elsewhere that is not necessarily true but this is the place if for some reason you enjoy listening to me share opinion, then this is where it's at. This is what talk radio does, and I'm not afraid to admit that. I'm Crystal Heath. This is The Frittle Show. And so there, there are opinions that I have. There is not a talk radio that happens where it is just strictly news, unless you want to listen to NPR, and this is NPR. Today in the battle for... Thank you for listening to NPR. And the thing is, that you could get the same thing with the BBC today on the Western Front. We see this is happening and that is happening, and what this means for all of us is blah blah blah. And you didn't know that I could blah blah in an English accent, neither did I, because I just never tried it before. But quite frankly, whether you're listening to NPR or the BBC, or if y- all news is biased, okay? But talk radio is the most biased of all the news. It just is. Because when, you, when you're when you an opinion host, that's what you do. You You share thoughts, you share opinions. And so I have spent the last two minutes explaining to you, <laughs> for reasons I don't even know, that this is an opinion program. But yeah, I think it's important not to forget that. And what's interesting to me is that the most successful, the most popular news programs on television in our country today are not news reporting programs. No, they are opinion-sharing programs about news that is happening. Rachel Maddow is the most popular leftist news, quote-unquote, program. But it's an opinion program. Sean Hannity is the most popular, most successful... Uh, quote-unquote, news program for those on the right. But it is an opinion program. At least he has the moral honesty and moral clarity to tell you that it's an opinion, that he's an opinion-sharing newscaster. He's not just a news reporter. Okay, so, and and then if you take, take that concept and blow it up, that is what talk radio is. Talk radio is all about, you've heard the shock jockeys, right? Like, that's what talk radio is. So... And, it, and, and that's what you want it to be. And let me explain to you why. Because it's radio. If all we did on radio was share the facts of the story, the story would be over very quickly, and it wouldn't be good radio. It would probably, honestly, be better for, for most of us in our daily life. We could, get, we could get news so much faster if all we had was the facts of a story. But that's just not the way we do news anymore. It's not even the way we tweet anymore. It's not the way we Facebook. We put the best foot forward. We put our spin on things, on (laughs) pretty much everything that we do. So, all that to be said, here come just about an hour's worth of my opinions about a bunch of different things that are happening in our country today. What we're going to start, I don't know how long we're going to stay on this. It may be a little while. It may not be. We'll just see where the winds of radio take us, but we're going to start with this whole Turkey issue and our military, and what is the purpose of our military, what did our founders intend for our military to be, it, should we have a Rand Paul view of the military, should we have more of a George Bush view of our military, should it be somewhere in between, or should we be even having a military. We're going to we're going to talk about these things today and we're going to start with a New York Times article. I don't generally start with a New York Times article, but when I read through it I was like this is actually really pretty good. So this is by Eric Schmidt, Maggie Haberman and Edward Wong. I have no idea who these people are, but they wrote this piece for the New York Times. Headline is President endorses Turkish military operation in Syria shifting US policy. Now, he has not officially come out and endorsed a Turkish military operation in Syria. That that didn't happen. But it is presumed that that is the case since we are withdrawing troops from the border. So, we're just going to go ahead and read through this I may skip around in a little bit if you want to go and find it. It's the New York Times. I'll just give you the headline. In a major shift in United States military policy in Syria, the White House said on Sunday that President Trump had given his endorsement for a Turkish military operation that would sweep away American-backed Kurdish forces near the border in Syria. Turkey considers the Kurdish forces to be a terrorist insurgency and has long sought to end American support for the group. But the Kurdish fighters, which are part of the Syrian Democratic Forces, or SDF, have been the United States' most reliable partner in fighting the Islamic State in a strategic corner of northern Syria. And that really is the key of this whole thing. Mr. Trump's decision goes against the recommendations of top officials in the Pentagon and the State Department who have sought to keep a small troop presence in northeast Syria to continue operations against the Islamic State or ISIS and to act as a critical counterweight to Iran and Russia. So many of the president's detractors are saying when you look at this thing, it doesn't make sense unless you're Rand Paul who doesn't believe in very much along the way of sending U.S. troops overseas or you are just a supporter of Russia and Vladimir Putin, and because this is a move that would make Putin happy, you are cowtailing to Putin. So that, that is what his detractors are saying. It is a true fact that the Pentagon, that the State Department, that many, many individuals, even within the president's own cabinet, have been saying, this is not a good idea, this is not a good idea, we should not withdraw our troops from Syria. Administration officials said that Mr. Trump spoke directly with President Recep Tayyip Rodigan of Turkey on the issue on Sunday, and the officials indicated that the 100 to 150 United States military personnel deployed to the area would be pulled back in advance of any Turkish operation, but that they would not be completely withdrawn from Syria. So, this is another area where I think there's been a lot of confusion. So, the president... I'm not even sure... I don't know how to explain this, because if you read the president's tweets, and you listen to what's being said on the news, it sounds like we're just taking these guys out of here and sending them home. The president keeps hashtagging end the endless wars, but the fact of the matter is, these guys aren't actually leaving Syria. They're just being drawn back. And this I think is where you develop some real confusion about the issue. I talked about this briefly on Tuesday. Where I don't understand this, now I Again, we'll talk in a few minutes about the purpose of our military and endless wars and all of that. But yeah. the president, after the initial announcement, then went on to say, essentially, if Turkey does something we don't like, well, we're going to stomp on them and make them get back into line with what we want. Because, and as the president said, in his infinite wisdom, he would, he would deal with the situation as it needed to be dealt with. The problem is, if we're not actually withdrawing these guys completely from Syria, and all we're doing is backing them away from where the Kurds have been fighting, and from where the Kurds have been maintaining control, I I understand that Turkey has been our ally in in some cases, but Rodigan is not exactly a, a great world leader, and... It's, it's being misrepresented to the world. Because on one hand, you have the anti-war faction that is like, yes, we're taking these guys out, we're bringing them home. But we're not bringing them home. They're staying in Syria. They're just backing away from the area that Turkey's like, hey, hey, could you please back away? Because we really want this little piece of land. We really want to stomp out these Kurds. So what's the deal with the Kurds? We need to understand who the Kurdish people are to even understand how this is relevant. There is so much tension in the Middle East over so many different things. You know, we're we're more familiar, I think, a lot of times, especially those in Western societies and in Judeo-Christian culture. We're more familiar with conflicts relating to Israel. We're not as familiar with conflicts a little bit further. So, the Kurds are an ethnic minority group. They're the fourth largest ethnic group currently in the Middle East. There's about 18 million of them, give or take, spread across several countries. So it could be significantly more. Some estimates are as high as 40 million. It's estimated that the majority of Kurds currently live in Turkey upwards of 14, 13, 14 million, 7 to 8 million in Iran, 1 to 2 million in in Syria. The Kurds don't have a country. There is a Kurdistan, but Kurdistan is not a country. It's a region. So there are four areas to Kurdistan. There's northern Kurdistan, which is essentially southeastern Turkey. There's southern Kurdistan, which is in northern Iraq, eastern Kurdistan covers northwestern Iran, and western Kurdistan, which is the north of Syria. That's specifically where we're talking about right now. Western and northern Kurdistan would be the, the issues at play. So, the Kurdistan, or the, the Kurds, rather, the, the, the people that would make up Kurdistan, this ethnic group, has been incredibly, incredibly persecuted over time the most famous attack probably being the poison gas attack against them in Iraq in 1988 by Saddam Hussein 12,000 Kurds murdered in that uh, in that attack so they have they have been persecuted ever since the middle east became the modern middle east so since World War One, essentially, Kurds in Turkey particularly have been the victims of just a non-stop seeming assault on their ethnic, cultural, religious identity, their economic and political status is is not equal to those that would be the residents of these countries. So the, the Ottoman Empire is defeated in World War One. The Allies create the modern Middle East. The, the The treaties that are brought forward provide for an independent Kurdistan. So Kurdistan is supposed to be its own country following World War Two. The Ottoman Empire goes away. Kurd, the Kurds are supposed to receive their own country. But the treaty that allowed for them to have their own country was never actually ratified. Instead, the Treaty of Lausanne created the modern states of Turkey, Iraq, and Syria with no Kurdistan. Then, during Turkey's war for independence, the Turkish leaders promised the Kurds that, in exchange for their help, in exchange for, for helping them achieve independence, that the Kurds would receive a Turkish-Kurdish federated state in return for their help. Well, long story short, Turkey achieves its independence completely ignores the bargain they made with the Kurds. So the Kurds fight alongside Turkey. The Kurds are promised a state again. So the Tur- the Kurds were promised their own state following World War I. Didn't happen. The Kurds are promised their own state. If they help Turkey achieve independence, they do it. They get no state. So the the Turkish Republic comes around, and it's, it's within months, it seems, that... Non-Turkish elements within the Republic of Turkey are almost instantaneously viewed as a problem. They become less than human, if you will. So in 1924, there's a mandate in Turkey that forbids Kurdish schools, Kurdish organizations, Kurdish publications. You are no longer even allowed to say the words Kurdistan or Kurd. You cannot write these words. You cannot speak these words. It is illegal to acknowledge that Kurds in Kurdistan were even a thing. Between 1925 and 1939, 1.5 million Kurds, a third of their population at that time, they were deported or massacred. In 1930, the Turkish Minister of Justice declared, I won't hide my feelings. The Turk is the only lord, the only master of this country. Those who are not of pure Turkish origin will have only one right in Turkey, the right to be servants and slaves. So you have this immense persecution of the Kurds all throughout Turkey's history. It parallels the Armenian genocide, if, if you don't know the, the history of the region, it's really just absolutely tragic what has happened throughout history, specifically in Turkey, with the Kurds, with Armenians in this region as well. Since 1980, there have been at least five military maneuvers specifically designed to terrorize Kurds in New York City. In nine months following uh, a military takeover, of Kurdish areas in Turkey, the New York Times reported that 122,000 people were taken into custody, 40,000 were formally charged, the death penalty was sought for 900. There have been upwards of 70,000 political detainees, more than a quarter of them are reportedly Kurdish, and 90% of those that are, are imprisoned, uh, that are Kurds, have been reported to be peaceful protesters for Kurdish cultural rights. 378 known Kurds have been tortured to death because they are Kurds. 374 have been killed in nighttime attacks. Anything Kurdish is simply not welcomed or allowed in Turkey. There have been reports of individuals being arrested and prosecuted for owning Kurdish music for having signs that had a type of Kurdish name on their businesses. Turkey has not been quiet about their intent to exterminate the Kurds. So this is why you have this conflict between the Kurds and Syria. Now, that that's the history of it. Today, Today, Turkey is saying, look... We're not going in there to kill the Kurds, even though they hold that the Kurds are a terrorist group. So today you have, you have Kurds living within Turkey. You have this Kurdistan region, if you will, that covers multiple uh, countries. You've got Syria, Turkey. You've got Iran. You've got Iraq. You've got Kurds throughout all of these countries without their own state, without a place that they can call their own, and the Kurds being persecuted in each one of these countries, but most specifically in Turkey has been where, and, and Iraq when Saddam Hussein was alive. So you have the Kurds that are living in this area, and what we have found, and what we saw play out specifically during the War on Terror, was that the, the, those in Kurdistan, and the Kurdish fighters, were the most willing and the most consistent aid to U.S. forces. So it was the Kurds that came alongside us in this fight against terror. It's the Kurds that fought with us against ISIS. It's the Kurds that have been really our most reliable ally in the past decade in this region, helping us to achieve our goals. Additionally, this Kurdistanian region, if you will, though it's not a state, this region has been uh, a pocket of sorts uh, for uh, religious freedom. So what we've seen is persecuted Christians in Iraq, Iran, Syria, Turkey, moving into these areas that are controlled by the Kurds because the Kurds are more tolerant. The Kurds are not practicing radical Islam so much to where that they, will, they, they, they can coexist, essentially, with uh, Christians. And Christians have found safety in the regions controlled by the Kurds. Obviously, Israel still being the beacon of freedom, because it's an actual country in the Middle East where religious freedom is allowed. But the regions controlled by the Kurds, though the countries they are in may not hold the same view, because the Kurds are controlling these regions, it has been found to be a, a, a better place. not Not a perfect place, but a better place for Christians in the region than the areas that would not be controlled by Kurds. But, because the Kurdish people have been repeatedly promised and then seen broken promises from specifically the Turkish government there has been this ongoing, and because Turkey has literally tried to wipe out the Kurds in their country on more than one occasion you have this ongoing conflict between Turkey and the Kurds and you have Kurds operating within the nation of Turkey trying to overthrow the government and so Turkey essentially is saying hey to the United States the the people that you are working with Along that border, we view them as an enemy. We view them as terrorists. Stop helping people that we view as terrorists. And what the president has said is, okay, here's what we propose. The president has proposed in the past, our president Trump has proposed, well, let's create a safe zone. Let's create a barrier. Let's create... Uh, some space between you guys and the Kurds that proposal was uh, Essentially rejected and that has led us to where we are today to where the president's saying okay We will back away. We will move out of this area and we will leave the Kurds in this in this path Essentially, it's hard to describe without looking at a map, but there's a essentially a, uh, a patch of area that has been controlled by the Kurds that the U.S. has been operating in that has been holding Turkey at bay, essentially. So, this is where the concern comes in. Once we withdraw U.S. troops from this patch of ground and we leave the Kurds there, it is presumed that as soon as we step back again remember what the president is saying we're ending these endless wars and we're bringing the troops home we're, we're not actually bringing them home we're just moving them back further into Syria so at least that's what it has been now I, this is a ever developing situation so if anything i'm saying you're like no i just read this or i saw this i could that's very possible because i i have not read every article on the subject but i have read up quite a bit on it and mostly what I'm trying to do is give you an overview of the history of the situation so you understand why this is even happening and I want to break down why I think that this is worse than some people are saying and not as bad as other people are saying okay there's there's usually this middle ground and so I'm trying to help you see what I think is the middle ground about this whole thing now we may have developed past this because there, there may have been an announcement that I haven't seen yet but based on the information that I have right now while we're recording this broadcast, this is where we're at. So you have this patch of ground. U.S. troops are going to take a step back. They're not going to be withdrawed from the country completely or from the region completely. So everyone that is all gung-ho, we're going to end the war. Well, we're not really ending anything. We're just stepping back. And the concern is that as the U.S. steps away and now you have the Kurds in this region that Turkey has been eyeing for literally decades that as soon as the U.S. is out of there that Turkey is going to attack the people that have been working alongside us that have been our allies that have been providing this safe place, if you will for Christians and other persecuted groups in this region. Turkey is saying... These people are terrorists. Trump is saying, don't bother them or I will crush you. He's... L- <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. <coughs> He's literally said, look, if, you, if these guys step out of line and don't do what we agree to, then if I, in my infinite wisdom... Those are literally his words. If in his infinite wisdom he believes that Turkey is doing something that they should not be doing, then he will devastate their economy. He's not saying he'll put boots on the ground, but that he will crush them economically. So, here is what, where we're at now. The president's saying, Turkey has been our ally in a number of things. Turkey and I are getting along, and Turkey is going to do this the right way, or I will crush them like a cockroach, uh, to borrow the... Mr. Wonderful-ism Turkey is saying look we don't we're not trying to go fight these people what we want to do is we want to set up a safe zone what President Trump had proposed earlier but now they they're doing on their own in a different way than what was proposed but I'm not gonna get into all that basically what they're saying is they want to create a safe zone in this 20 mile deep stretch where there has been Kurdish fighters They want to clear out the Kurdish fighters. Now, how that will happen mm -hmm, remains to be seen, but likely there will be fighting, because I don't think these guys are just going to step away. But what Turkey says they want is they want to create a 20-mile-deep safe zone, and that they will use this area to resettle up to 2 million Syrian refugees that are currently living in Turkey. The Kurdish alliance says that it was going to defend its territory. It's not going to just allow Turkey to come in and create a settlement for these Syrians and that the US is leaving the area to turn into a war zone and that we are risking the reemergence of ISIS with this move. Now, the um <laughs> Where was I at here? Turkey's also saying that, well, if ISIS is not going to reemerge because we are going to take responsibility for ISIS in this region. We are going to deal with it. It won't be a problem anymore. The Turks are convinced that this corridor of 20 miles will ensure Turkey's border security, that it can be a refugee resettlement area, and that ISIS will not be a problem. The Kurds are saying, hey, look, we may not have a state, but this is part of our Kurdistan region, and we're not just going to hand it over to you so that you can settle Syrians back in this patch of what is actually Syria. So, will this happen peacefully? I have my great, great doubts, because the Kurds don't have a place, and... They've been promised a place on multiple occasions. They haven't gotten one. There is literally century over a century worth of conflict between the Turks. I guess it's not over, it's just about a century worth of conflicts between the Turks and the Kurds. And oh, by the way, I, I said I think I said eighteen million earlier. That's the estimate for uh those in living in Turkey, by the way. It's 15 to 18 million estimated in Turkey. uh, 25 to 40 million total Kurds in the region. So, what happens to these people? What happens to their region? If Turkey takes this area, and they are expressing every intention to do so, and if the Kurds will not simply handed over, there's going to be a military conflict. As for the president saying, you better not get out of line, Turkey's vice president said earlier this week that his country would not react to threats and that they are continuing to prepare their military offensive against the Kurdish fighters in Syria. The vice president, Fuat Akhtay, said when it comes to the security of Turkey, as always, our president emphasized that Turkey will determine its own path now I (sighs) I don't even know where to go from here the White House an official for the White House said the president has made it very clear there should be no untoward action with respect to the Kurds or anyone else, a.k.a. there needs to be no military mobilization to this area, there needs to be no conflict, do this right, or or else. The question becomes, is Trump's stick big enough? And by that I mean Churchill's mantra of speak softly and carry a big stick. And... Wait. No, sorry. Did I say Churchill? It's not Churchill. It's um, Roosevelt, not the the one that's on Mount Rushmore. <laughs> Which one was that? Theodore. Theodore Roosevelt. I had Franklin stuck in my head. I knew it was in Franklin. Theodore Roosevelt was the one that said, speak softly and carry a big stick. It's the idea of big stick ideology, big stick diplomacy, big stick policy. It's It's, you know... Try to work things out with your words. Try to be diplomatic. Try to use goodwill. And you know, while you're doing that, just have a big stick so they know if you if you don't wanna just do things nice the nice way, then we'll do things the hard way. Right? Your your parents probably said that to you growing up. Do you want to do this so we can do this the easy way, or we can do this the hard way? More often than not, you probably chose the hard way. So the the question is with Turkey, will they actually think that the President will intervene and how much of a threat do they feel is reality if they go for this and if it requires them to use military force. Just looking at Turkey's track record, every thing would seem to suggest, and this would be why many, many, many Republicans and others have encouraged the president to not withdraw from this area is because history would suggest that Turkey is not simply going to diplomatically take over this region. Particularly when it is controlled by a people group that they view as terrorists and that they have been persecuting relentlessly for a century. And that's why you have all this grave concern now it could be that Turkey has turned a corner it could be that the President of the United States has enough influence and, and power worldwide that just his words and his uh, art of the deal maneuvering could keep Turkey in line even as the U.S. withdraws from this area and that the Kurds and the Turks could have, find a peaceful revolution revolution? <laughs> no resolution to this issue it's not something that we've seen in the past I'm not sure it's something that we're gonna see right now but it's a possibility essentially time will tell now this brings us to another topic which I I don't know how long I'm gonna stick with this but we'll, we'll talk about this for just a few minutes and this topic that i want to touch on again i don't i don't know how much i want to get into this because it's so incredibly controversial especially among well anyway it's this idea of what is the purpose of our military and when we have situations like this you see you see very strong reactions by both groups so rand paul earlier this week was very very vocal in supporting the president's decision here. He said that there's not enough American forces in the region to actually make a difference in any conflict that's currently happening or that could happen, which is true. There's there's not. There's, there's somewhere between 50 and 150, depending on who you ask. Um, and his concern is that the U.S. could be dragged into a larger conflict as a result of just having a handful of guys on the ground. So essentially... Why do we just have a couple guys there? We could end up in a huge fight that we didn't intend to be in because we only have a couple people here, and why why are we doing this? Also, we've been there for a year and a half with no resolution in sight. Another fair point. In a Fox News interview with Neil Cavuto, Rand Paul said, I think the best answer is is that we don't have all the answers, and that the people who live there are always going to have more of a stake in the game, and we need to not think that it's always the U.S.'s responsibility to fight every war and find every peace. As for other Republicans who were dismissive of the president, he said "It's to Cavuto, It sounds like you just listed the neocon war caucus of the Senate. So yes, they always want to stay at war. They always think war is the best answer. And Rand Paul has a, a valid point, a valid concern, and many libertarians would hold to this point, many conservatives, many Democrats, right? And that is that we, the people that are there have more at stake, are better equipped to deal with their own problems. We don't need to be the police officers of the world. So there is there is that perspective. Then you have, The flip side of that, you had Senator Ted Cruz said it would be disgraceful if we sit idly by while Turkey slaughters the Kurds as public reports suggest that Turkish leader Rodigan explicitly told President Trump he intends to do. Kurds risked their lives for many years to fight alongside us. Our enemies and rivals, Iran, Russia, etc., don't abandon their allies. If we want allies to stand with America in the future, we shouldn't either. Honorable nations stand by their friends. So there's also this side of it. So there's when we, when we talk about the endless war issue, that I think is a valid point by Rand Paul, and it's a conversation that I think we as a country should probably be willing to have, and have had, and will continue debating. Right, But you also have this very valid point on the other side of, hey, this is not an endless war. This is, these people will be wiped out if we don't stand alongside them. And honorable nations, as Ted Cruz said, stand by their friends. These people have been our friends. They have done more to help us in this region than Turkey has, so why would we abandon them at the behest of Turkey? This also, a valid, fair point. So as I was thinking about this this week, you know, as <laughs> as I've said repeatedly in this program in the past there are not easy answers to many of the world's questions right we we want things to be so black and white we want things to be easy but they're so often really really not i've met Rand paul i've met ted cruz both men that i respect immensely both Literally brilliant people. Both presenting different sides to an argument, but both still on the same team. That's the, that's the beauty of conservatism, by the way. You can have different sides, incredibly different opinions on the same team. I feel that the left, by and large, there is there is one thought process, and you will adhere to it, or you will be made to adhere to it, whereas on the conservative side, there is so much diversity in conservatism. I I think that's how we ended up with Trump as our president, but that's another story for another time since we had no... Anyway, so as I was thinking about this and thinking about the immense respect that I have for Rand Paul, the immense respect that I have for Ted Cruz, the immense respect that I have for so many people that have come out on both sides of this issue... And the understanding of, hey, we can't abandon our friends and they are going to be slaughtered if we do. The, the idea of, well, we shouldn't be in these endless wars where nothing is being accomplished and where we don't have enough people there to have any real impact anyway. Both very valid concerns. And that led me to think about, well, what is the purpose? What was the intent of our military in the first place? Because, you know, Rand Paul is not wrong. Uh, now, Ron Paul, I think a, a little, a little far out there. But Rand Paul is not necessarily wrong when he says things that that may not always <laughs> go along with what we as conservatives might might initially feel. You know, we're the we're the look. I've got a gun. I'm going to use it to defend my family and my friends. Right? Like that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. But sometimes maybe. Maybe there's a less violent way that we can accomplish these things. Or, or maybe they're not actually our family or our friends. And so you know maybe we shouldn't be shooting at them. Th- th- these are valid thoughts. And when Rand Paul says it's not the job of our military to police the world, he's not basing that on his own opinion. He's basing that on what our founders intended. And if you look at their their thoughts about standing armies and different things, it's very... There is a lot to be said for Rand Paul's view of security. And even, dare I say, isolationism. It's not necessarily the view that I would hold to, but I see, I see where he's coming from because I've studied the founding fathers and I've studied what they've written and I've studied what they say. And so there there is precedent. And in my opinion, since we hold to the founders for most other things, there's pretty good precedent for what Paul is saying. I, I think there is equally as good precedent for what Ted Cruz and those that would align on his side would be saying as well. I'm just trying to present both the options here. Right? You 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 determine where you would fall and what you think, but just remember that as we look at these things, culturally, and as we look at global conflict, and as we look at world politics, and even, uh, even national politics, that it's not always as easy or as black and white as we would really, really like it to be. You know, George Washington said, there is nothing so likely to produce peace as to be well prepared to meet an enemy. Thomas Jefferson said, Peace and friendship with all mankind is our wisest policy, and I wish we may be permitted to pursue it. Thomas Paine said, Our plan is peace forever. James Monroe said, Peace is the best time for improvement and preparation of every kind. It is in peace that our commerce flourishes most, that taxes are most easily paid, and that the revenue is most productive. And by peace they mean no war. It's very straightforward what our founders were talking about if you read these in context. George Washington also said, "...men may speculate as they will, they may talk of patriotism, they may draw a few examples from ancient story of great achievements performed by its influence but whoever builds upon it as a sufficient basis for conducting a long and bloody war will find themselves deceived in the end. A great and lasting war can never be supported on this principle alone. It must be aided by a prospect of interest or some reward. For a time, it may of itself push men to action, to bear much, and to encounter difficulties, but it will not endure unassisted by interest." John Adams said, be it remembered then that there are tumults, seditions, popular commotions, insurrections, and civil wars upon just occasions as well as unjust. Thomas Jefferson said, whensoever hostile aggressions require a resort to war, we must meet our duty and convince the world that we are just friends and brave enemies. And when I I was thinking about this program, when I was thinking about where this would go, and when I was thinking about you know, how we, how we reconcile this difference of we've got to get out of the endless war with we must stand by our friends. I, I really think it's this quote by George Washington that says that both of these are legitimate positions. The question is, how do we meld the two together? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read his quote again. He said, men may speculate, a, speculate as they will, They may talk of patriotism. They may draw a few examples from ancient story of great achievements performed by its influence, but whoever builds upon it as a sufficient basis for conducting a long and bloody war will find themselves deceived in the end. A great and lasting war can never be supported on this principle alone. Here's the key. It must be aided by a prospect of interest or some reward. For a time, it may, push, it, uh, it may of itself push men to action, to bear much, to encounter difficulties, but it will not endure unassisted by interest. So we have to look at why are we here? Why are we fighting? There must be some prospect of interest or reward to our country, to we the people, for us to continue in the conflict. And so I believe that Rand Paul is right when he says we should not be in endless wars. I also believe Ted Cruz is right when he says we cannot, we should not abandon our friends. And I believe that because of what our founding fathers wrote and said about both peace and war, and particularly this quote, I love it from George Washington, we have to have skin in the game. But also... As Jefferson said, the world needs to know that we are just friends. That we are good friends. And abandoning the Kurds is not necessarily being a just friend. Abandoning the Kurds would instead be exactly what the Turks did to them. When the Turks were fighting for their independence and promised the Kurds, Hey, we know you were supposed to get a country before, and that didn't happen, but if you help us achieve our independence, then we will create for you your own state. So the Kurds fight alongside the Turks, and then the Turks turn around and slaughter their people. No state, just persecution. The United States should not follow in that path. The Kurds have fought alongside us. The Kurds have been our allies. And though, yes, we should not be in endless wars, neither should we leave the friend that we've had in their time of need and that honestly is a very simplistic way of looking at it but I think a lot of times we take things that should be simple and we make them big and complicated and convoluted and then we dig a trench around our opinion and we say this is what it must be when really it's, it's not that hard It boils down to, yeah, we we shouldn't be in an endless war. There does need to be national interest at stake. We aren't the world's police. It's true. But, neither should we abandon our friends. Now, perhaps, Rodigan and Turkey will not attack our Kurdish friends. That would be the ideal situation, right? Would be peace in that region. But Turkey has said, we intend to attack them. We will take this land and we will settle Syrians there. And the Kurds have said, we will not hand this land over to you and you will not settle your displaced individuals here. And so it would seem, based on the facts, this is not about an endless war. This is about standing by the people who have stood by us as we fought the enemies that we determined needed to be fought based on 9-11 and subsequent happenings around the world and in our own country. Okay. Are you worn out yet? I am. <laughs> this has been quite the extensive talk about our military and about what's happening in Turkey. I honestly did not intend to go that long on that topic. Uh, and now I am really need to stop because I'm... Essentially out of time here, and we have gone really long. And I really need a drink of water. But I oh, I so wanted to talk today about the NBA and the issue with China. Just unbelievable. Okay, maybe I'll oh, can I summarize it real quick. I'm going to summarize this real quick for you. Okay, so the uh, the general manager Daryl Morey of the Houston Rockets tweeted a graphic. When was it? It was last week. I want to say on the weekend or just before the weekend, maybe last Friday. He tweeted a graphic, fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong. And like the whole world freaked out. The NBA world, China, everybody went crazy. The Ringer reported that after General Manager Daryl Morey expressed support in a since-deleted tweet for pro-democracy efforts in Hong Kong, the Chinese government, the Chinese Basketball Association, and various Chinese businesses quickly denounced Morey and moved to sever their ties with the team, the Rockets. As a consequence, league sources told The Ringer that Rockets' ownership has debated this guy's employment status and whether or not to replace him. Then we had the chief communications officer of the entire NBA released the following statement. We recognize that the views expressed by Houston Rockets general manager Daryl Morey have deeply offended many of our friends and fans in China, which is regrettable. While Daryl has made it clear that his tweet does not represent the Rockets or the NBA, the values of the league s- support individuals educating themselves and sharing their views on matters important to them. We have great respect for the history and culture of China and hope that sports in the NBA can be used as a united, unifying force to bridge cultural divides and bring people together the guy then went on to tweet his apologies undoubt in hopes of maintaining his job but what is unbelievable to me is that the NBA which is based in the United States though they have a massive Chinese fan base right but you're from here and China does not represent human rights or really anything that the NBA would say that it stands for religious freedom freedom of the press like freedom of anything? No. It says it's not what China, like, literally, the Chinese government has a million people, essentially, give or take a few hundred, locked in concentration camps. They are brutally repressing demonstrators in Hong Kong, and the NBA is like, oh, we just want to bridge the cultural divides. Like, we know that you guys are literally kidnapping children from their families so that you can, quote-unquote, re-educate them to be better citizens, and that you are persecuting uh, Muslims and Christians and imprisoning them for things that, really, they didn't do anything of. And we know you have this social credit scoring system where people aren't allowed to live in any sort of freedom, and we know that you don't allow people to actually have, you know, like... Uh, control of what they do online and that there's no actual freedom of the press and that you control everything and that you are literally a communist dictatorship empire but we want to bridge the cultural divide and we are so so sorry that one of our managers tweeted support for hong kong i'm sorry what like this is this is unbelievable i've never been a big basketball fan to begin with so i I don't know a whole lot about how the nba functions as far as as leadership and stuff if you want to talk the NFL and Roger Goodell I can go there with you but I don't uh, I, I, I don't understand how the NBA functions to that level where I would understand about the NFL but uh, to turn to someone who apparently does Senator Ted Cruz tweeted as a lifelong Houston Rockets fan I was proud to see D. Maury, the, the, the guy that's in all the hot water now, call out the Chinese Communist Party's repressive treatment of protesters in Hong Kong. But now, in pursuit of big money, the NBA is shamefully retreating. He tweeted, We're better than this. Human rights shouldn't be for sale. And the NBA shouldn't be assisting Chinese Communist censorship. Like, literally, China- <laughs> Communist China censors what their own people can do and say. And now, they are saying what we here in the United States can do and say and threatening U.S.-based NBA teams and their support of said teams, it is unreal. Like, China is literally influencing what the NBA does and repressing freedom of speech in the United States. Unbelievable. Senator Rick Scott, great guy in Florida, tweeted... It's clear that the NBA is more interested in money than human rights. Tonight's statement from Commissioner Silver is an absolute joke. The NBA is kowtowing to Beijing to protect their bottom line and disavowing those with the the, the guts to stand with Hong Kong. Shameful. Wow. Famed sports analyst Clay Travis tweeted, ESPN is set to broadcast from China this week. The Woke League with the Woke Broadcasting Network. All shilling for Chinese communists. Y'all think they'll say anything at all? Ha, the hypocrisy is crazy. When the NBA pulled out of Charlotte, ESPN praised them to the high heavens. Do you remember that? In 2017, in protest of North Carolina's uh, failure to pass, or I'm sorry, because of its objection to North Carolina's House Bill 2, which limited anti-discrimination protections in the state, The all-star game, the NBA pulled the all-star game from Charlotte. So essentially what the NBA is saying, you know, Christians and people who want to express an opinion that might be different from mainstream or modern leftist stuff. We're not going to support that in Charlotte. We're going to withdraw from Charlotte. Because we don't don't approve of what they're doing. But then they're going all in. On China, which actually discriminates against millions of people and imprisons them based on said discrimination. Unbelievable. If I could put the meme up there with the unbelievable, I would, but you can't see it because it's radio. So, anyway, had to throw that in there. Thanks for giving me those extra five minutes to just express my outrage with the NBA. I. Again, I, I'm not an NBA fan, so this doesn't affect me. I don't have to be like, oh, I'm going to boycott the NBA. I, I, don't have to, I wouldn't boycott anyway because I don't really believe in boycotts, but that's another, again, another story for another time. There's so many other stories for other times. If you ever like, hey, what was that? Can you t- tell me more about the other story for the other time? I'd be happy to share it with you. I just can't share it with you right now because I am out of time. And we're going to stop now. I'm going to stop talking because I still, I need the water more now than I did five minutes ago when I said I needed a drink of water. So, thank you so much for being with us. Always a great pleasure to have you listen, tune in. I'm so grateful for your taking the time to spend with us. You have many options for what to do with this part of your day and the fact that you would honor me with your presence and with your listening ear is is really, really humbling, honestly. And I appreciate it. And I, always, I love that there are kids listening. Everybody that's under the age of 12, if you come to me today and you tell me, let's see, what are the, what's the secret password going to be? It's going to be supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. If you come up to me today and tell me supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, you will get a piece of candy just because I think that you are awesome for listening. If you can tell me something that I talked about in today's program, two pieces of candy, all right? So there you go. That'll be our fun fun thing for today. Sorry if you're outside the listening area. If you have kids outside the listening area, y- you probably know me personally because I, I don't know why else you would listen. And uh, Not that I don't like my program. I think my program's kind of cool. But if you're, if you're outside the listening area, sorry, I can't give your kid candy, but I can send them a high-five gif if you want me to do that. Happy to make that happen for you because, you know, whatever. I'm going to go now. Thanks for listening. This is KVXL 101.1 FM Experience Thirty Radio from Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Join us Sunday morning, Sunday night. In the morning, we have services at 9, 30, and eleven fifteen. Sunday evening, 6 o'clock, or our midweek service. It was just last night. If you missed it, sorry. We'd love to have you next time. Wednesday nights at 7. Iwana is at 6.50 on Wednesdays. Our address, 6501 West Lakeview Boulevard. You can find out more about us by visiting our website at experienceliberty.com, or if you're on Facebook, which we know you are, head on over to our Facebook page, hit like. For Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, you can keep up with current events happening at the church as well as live stream our services there as well. Thanks again. We'll see you tomorrow. It'll be fun Friday. We're going to give some stuff away. No politics because it's Friday. Be here. See you then.